this rainy day in Houston to be at one of my favorite places in Houston, Texas. We are here live at the Sydenham Clinic for Living the Authentic Life. And I have been sharing my wellness journey with so many of you on our Instagram feed and in my Bible study class and through the charities I'm part of. And this has been my dream is to get together with a group of friends and share meaningful conversations and really talk about our health and wellness. And I think now more than ever with COVID, we're all really uber focused on it. Um, I have shared also with you guys that I've been doing a lot of research on living an authentic life. And I really believe that if you choose a purpose and you commit to that purpose and you align your words and deeds and you connect with people in your tribe, in your family, in your community to make a difference that you will soar and you will find abundance in ways that you haven't done it ever before. And I believe that's through my relationship with God, but a lot of it is my relationship with myself. And in this time when we're all looking at the world and everything going wrong, I chose to look at me and how I could make me stronger and better. And the Sydenham Clinic is a very big part of that. I'm so happy to welcome uh, Dr. Anshul, or excuse me, Anshul Bhatia, not doctor yet, uh, but she is the founder of the clinic and Dr. Terry Rice, who is an amazing um, medical doctor who has uh, an incredible resume that I won't read, but she's worked with everywhere from MD Anderson to, um, I believe, Ben Taub. Uh, I mean, that in itself. I mean, the fact that she survived that. And now we are looking at this overall approach. I don't know about you guys, but I have probably five different doctors. I have my concierge doctor, and then I have my OBGYN, and then I have the woman that helps me with my hormones, and then I have my migraine doctor. And now I'm working with Signum, and they're kind of putting all this in an umbrella for me so they can look at my overall health. And I'm working with a trainer, and I'm working with a dietitian, and I'm looking what's right for my body, not what you read online because it's so confusing. So, Anshul, this was your dream to bring people together in this way. Share a little bit about that. Thank you, and a little bit about that Freudian slip earlier. I almost became a doctor. I was doing my PhD in neonatal psychology. Wow. And I'm still fascinated by the psychology that happens when we're, you know, even in the womb. That's for another lifetime, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, so um, would you like me to go through the slides? Sure. Okay, great. So. This is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite people, um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, that we go on thinking we're invincible, especially us as entrepreneurs. Very often we think that uh, we're never gonna die and we die never really having lived. So our goal is to live longer, healthier, happier lives and therefore the Sydenham Clinic was created. Um, while we practice cutting edge, cutting edge modern medicine, we are also trying to bring in ancient wisdom and create a space that's a longevity club where you know like-minded people can come and collaborate to live longer and healthier and happier lives. Um, it all began with a personal journey when we lost my father-in-law to medical negligence and I realized the system is broken. And I wrote this book out of frustration and I literally like, got this done from the time I decided I want to write a book to the time I found Bloomsbury the, to publish it and it was out, it was three months. Uh, and I moved here and I realized the system here is broken too. And we need to plug the gaps. So there is a big gap and the gap is 17 years. From the time something gets discovered to the time it comes to mainstream medicine, it's 17 years too late. So we like to say we're practicing 2037 medicine here at Sydenham Clinic. A little cheeky, but that's fine. That's us. We like cheeky. Yeah. Um, so a little analogy to bring in, you know, people fly private, people fly commercial. So when you look at commercial healthcare, that's how we like to call it. It is hospital oriented, it's pharma dominated, the Bukas of the world, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna's of the world, dominate medicine to the point that it's become seven-minute medicine now. And the system is broken, which is why the 17-year gap. 
So we feel the solution lies in, for people who have resources or people who treat this as their number one priority, we, we call it flying private or the private jet of healthcare. And this is what private healthcare looks like by our definition. It needs to be a 360 degree approach. It cannot be in silos like you were saying. And it needs to be genomic-led, and which is what is so unique about Dr. Rice. She's the only person in Houston, or probably you know, many, many miles around Houston, to be practicing genomic-based primary care. So you imagine your personalized program according to your genes, your hormones, and she'll go more into it. And it's preventive, it's proactive, and it focuses on performance, not just, you know, okay, there's no pain, but can we help you jump higher, run faster? And the problem is that we are only addressing the tip of the iceberg through the commercial healthcare model. You fall sick, you go for an annual health checkup, or you're only limited to one physician or a hospital sphere of you know, influence. We truly come in and say we cover it all because we represent the patient in the system which was the missing link, that nobody represented the patient. Everybody's trying to sell you a supplement or trying to sell you their test or, or trying to do something. So we have a membership program where our whole goal is to do whatever it takes. For some people, it may be more mental health. Some people, it's more supplements. Some people, it's more hormones. We'll do whatever it takes, but it's your lifestyle. And we like to call ourselves a family office for health. So from people from the wealth management uh, background, you'll understand that you have family offices to manage your wealth. But health is your most valuable asset. So you need an office and you need a team like us to help you manage your most valuable asset. A big part of what we also like to do is consolidate medical records and sort of keep it here centralized. And this is my husband's records. This is what they look like. Um, Dr. Rice is really going to touch upon this approach of ours. We like to call it the SIDNAM methodology, where we look at genomics, sleep, gut health, hormones, physical fitness. She's going to let you know what, what all these black rings are, like the cult rings all three of us are wearing. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to end by saying the best way to predict the future is to create it. And that's exactly what we're doing here. Um, these are some of our board of advisors. And now I want to invite the superstar, Dr. Terry Rice, to really go into some of the methodology and, and the why we're doing this and how we're doing this. Thank you. Thanks, Anshul. And thanks so much, Donna, for joining us here at Sedim Clinic today. We're just thrilled to have you and just so excited to go through this journey with you. I really look forward to working together to improve your health. And you mentioned something um, in your introduction that is so uh, important to me, and it's one of my pet peeves in medical care, when you said how many physicians you had taking care of you for all these problems. And in the 30 years that I've been involved in medical care, I've been in practice, uh, this has become, I think, more and more uh, of an issue. I've seen this develop um, over the years. Back when I first went into uh, practice, I was practicing internal medicine, and that was back in the day when we put our own patients in the hospital, and we made rounds, you know, every day on our patients. Um, but now that's that's just not a reality anymore. Now you have a hospitalist team. So even for your primary care in the hospital, you're divided from your primary care physician. And when I was at MD Anderson, which is an amazing institution, our patients would often have 10 doc doctors taking care of them. And patients become confused, and they don't know who is in charge of what or who to turn to for what. And patients would often ask me, but who, who is my real doctor? You know, who's in charge of, of my health care? I think it's an interesting development because we have so much knowledge now, and medical knowledge is, you know, doubling in less than a year, the amount of knowledge that we have. And so people, to be a true expert in their field, become uh, just in their one field, and they're afraid of getting outside of their lane. But for the patient, it leaves the patient just kind of lost. So when I took this opportunity to work at Sydenham Clinic, um, the, the investors and owners asked me, well, if you really wanted to look at a patient and to improve their health, 
you know, what would you do? And so I was lucky enough to be allowed to put together a program where I feel like we can look at the patient, um, they're just all parts of the patient, to try to put it all together, to try to holistically, and that's kind of an overused word, uh, approach healthcare. So Anshul was talking about genomics, and that is one of the most interesting things that we do. Um, but we do a really in-depth dive into genomics, and that's a sexy topic now. A lot of people have had their genomics looked at, and they're often very underwhelmed when I talk with them afterwards. They are presented with a lot of letters and numbers and don't know what to do with it. Um, but we're using a company in Austin, and I think the woman that started this is just really brilliant. And we look at 800 minor variations in your genetic code, but we don't look at anything that's not actionable. And everything we talk about, there is a plan, whether it's diet, uh, lifestyle, uh, nutrition, um, medications or supplements. And so people say, well, you know, it's my genes, it's my hard drive, I can't change my genes, right? So what are you talking about? How are you going to make recommendations about my genes? Well, the thing that we're learning more and more about genes, and this is called you know, epigenetics, is that yes, you might have your genes can't be changed, but you can kind of turn them off and turn them on. Or you can give them the things that they need to work better if you have a weak gene. So that's uh, how that works. So anyway, our genomic evaluation is 800 minor variations in your genetic code, uh, but it's in 33 metabolic categories. So we look at cognitive risk. Um, cardiac risk, what medications are more likely to work for your blood pressure, what about your mood, um, how you metabolize different vitamins, um, your risk for osteoporosis, what your risks are for different nutrients like choline and collagen and things like that. So it's really fascinating and we spend a lot of time looking at that uh, with our patients. But that's just one small part of what we do. The other thing that we do is we um, really get into nutrition. And uh, I work very closely with the nutritionists. We do a very in-depth nutritional evaluation on our patients. We look at all of their uh, amino acids, their vitamins, or neurotransmitters. Um, and then we teach people how to eat uh, rather than just getting it out of a pill. And what I find with so many patients is they're, a lot of them are already on a lot of supplements, but they don't know what they really need. And sometimes they really kind of miss the boat, miss the most important thing for them. And, and that's very variable depending on your genetic makeup, what you need, uh, what sort of supplements that you need. Um, and so uh, we try to get our, our nutritionist works really closely with our patients and tries to teach them how to eat well. And sometimes people don't want to initially meet with a nutritionist because their idea is that they're going to be told what not to eat. And people that think they're on a healthy diet, often it's this avoidance diet. You know, you talk to people about their diet, and they go, well, I don't eat high fructose corn syrup, and I don't eat a lot of sugar, and I don't eat this, and I don't eat that. But what they're eating is three or four things, and that's it. Uh, and that's not really the way to meet your nutritional needs. So you shouldn't be afraid of the nutritionist. <laughs> She's going to broaden your horizons, not, not narrow them. And then hormones is the other thing that we look at. And this is so important in men and women. Um, as we age, our hormones start to change. And uh, that affects our cognition. It affects our bone health. It affects our vascular health. Um, but also, the way we metabolize our hormones in, uh, affects our risks for uh, breast cancer, uterine cancer, uh, osteoporosis, cognition. So, we can look at, uh, with the appropriate testing, we look at how you metabolize your estrogen. And estrogen is metabolized down three different pathways. And one of these pathways uh, increases your risk for uh, breast cancer and uterine cancer. Uh, it's known as the 4-hydroxy pathway. And that is how alcohol and obesity and lack of exercise increases your risk for breast cancer. But your genetic makeup also determines whether you're at high risk of metabolizing that way or not. And that can also be affected with lifestyle uh, and supplements. So now what about your physical health, though? So we can't, you know, separate the metabolic or the chemical side 
um, or even the mental health from our physical health. So we have engaged uh, with a really excellent group here in town called Acceleration Training Concepts. I get such amazing feedback from our patients. And they look at our patients' flexibility, strength, um, how their body is balanced, and uh, really help hone in on what you need as an individual, whether it's to strengthen your legs, uh, whether it's to strengthen your core, whether you're getting older, over the age of 50, our balance starts to deteriorate. That's very important for fall risk. So every patient is seen as an individual and, and helped with what they need help with. And I think that's really, really important. And then the, uh, one of the final things that we do is we look at sleep. That's the aura ring. So we are all wearing our aura rings. And this is the best wearable for sleep. And the aura ring tells you about your stages of sleep. You can see the different stages of sleep on your phone. It works with your smartphone. And also quantitates for you um, how much REM sleep you get, how much light sleep you get, and how much deep sleep. And then we help you improve on that. Uh, because a lot of people have sleep difficulties, um, especially with all of the blue light that we're exposed to through our computers and our phones, and then many of us are not getting sunlight in the morning, and all these things affect our circadian rhythm. So we try to put all that together, and uh, it's important, and it's a lot of fun. So I have so much to say, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> So first of all, my sleep, that has been really great. And you guys know I love to go out and have fun. And I did find from Blue Zones that part of life is slowing down to have drinks at 5 o'clock. That's what they do in Sardinia. So I, you know me, and I like that. But it also tell, I'm always the first girl to go to sleep at a party. And this sleep ring actually tells me the best time for my body is to go to sleep between 9.30 and 10.30. And I know I'm not going to be invited to any of y'all's parties anymore, but, um, but it, it gives you grace like to know what your body needs. And you don't have to do it, but it gives you grace to know it. And then if you don't do it, you see it in your readiness for the next day. So it shows you what you maybe feel in your heart, but you don't know how to say to someone, it's take time, slow your body down. The other thing is eating. Like I met with um, Shauna the nutritionist and again I started I was like okay I'm addicted to dark chocolate and I love to have a glass of wine every night so I'm not taking those out and she goes well you don't have to and I went what and she goes you get four servings of carbs a day to get where you want to be for your body fat and you can get them whatever way you want and then she told me what a serving of a carb look like and I didn't realize when I was eating yogurt that that was a serving of a carb. So I could have a glass of wine or a yogurt. I know it's not exactly the same, but she gave me this completely simple perspective. And she's going with me to HEB next week to walk through and to see what I, it, so it's very real life. It also, my mom has osteoporosis. We have um, heart conditions in my family. We're looking at my markers. I don't have it all back, but it's giving me this kind of roadmap to look at how I can ease into all that. My D was so low that I had to get a prescription level of it, and I didn't know that. And when they got my test back, they said, if you caught COVID with your immune system right now, it's so compromised, you could be really ill. So there were things like that that just gave me the sense of peace, and it moved my health purpose up on my list. Because women in this room, and you might be the exception with men, we have to take care of our families, and we cannot give the oxygen mask to our kids or to our spouses or to the people we work with if we don't put it on ourselves first, y'all. And that's what I'm trying to do is not feel guilty that I'm focusing on me and my health, but I also feel like it's good modeling for Bella, for her to see that I'm eating right and I am focused. And it's not just about how I look in my clothes, but I mean, come on, ladies, we all want to look good on our clothes too, don't we? And so that's another great side effect. And Tony... Talamini is the guy um, that meets with you on looking at your body. For me, I'm gonna have to stand up to show you. So I was a dancer, but I always was sway back. So like normally I stand like this sway back. He said, you need to tuck under. He said, you're shrinking these muscles here by the way you stand. So coming to Sydenham Clinic is changing the way I think of standing every day. And that effect on my lower back in time he said, does your lower back hurt? I said, no. And then I realized I'm probably at a three level of pain every day in my lower back, but I'm going so strong I never notice. 
So I can just tell you like those simple things and I don't even have my hormones or my genome back. That's just what I've already done. So I am not a pushy salesperson and I'm not benefiting by bringing y'all in, but I love my tribe and I love my ladies and I and men in my life, because you are great too, Joe. Um, and we're gonna hear from Joe and Amy Pierce because the other thing that makes us keep going is our community and keeping our community safe. And that's a big part of our purpose too. And that's why I wanted to bring them in. So ladies, thank you for being here and let's move on to learning about our charity of the day. Thank you. Thank you. And they'll be here for questions afterwards. So I'll start with an introduction of my, both of you guys can come and sit. Um, my uh, sister from another mother, Amy Pierce, we came together to chair No Autism and she was the chair of the women of distinction this year. But more than that, she is like the person um, that I call when things are bad, when things are good, she is my people and I love her. And together we are trying to take down this horrible, uh, with all of you in this room, we're trying to change the way women and boys and some men are sexually exploited. And we're doing that with a group called Houston 20. And I'm gonna turn it over to Amy to share about that and then I'll introduce Joe. Well, yes, and I actually um, got involved in this. I was chairing the ball for, the, the gala for UNICEF, and um, it was focusing on human trafficking internationally, and we've all heard about that, you know, India, some of the key areas around the world. And then I learned a fact that Houston was number one in the nation for sex trafficking. I could not understand or believe it. So I um, went with a, an organization called Elijah Rising, Joe, they have a tour that will take you around brothels here in Houston. And I thought, a brothel? So we started driving around, and they said, that massage parlor is actually a brothel. Here, here, here. We started driving around, and all of a sudden I realized, wait, stop. We are at basically Richmond and Voss, and heading toward Westheimer and Voss. That is my academy. That is my Barnes & Noble. That is our Michaels, where I take our children to go shopping. We're two miles, less than two miles from my home. This is happening in my backyard. And all of a sudden realized, I, was, I, I use this phrase often, I was so enraged, I had to get engaged. And I had to make a change. Because these are my kids. All of a sudden, I would not let my son, who was going to Memorial at the time, walk home from Memorial High School after football. I went to pick him up. I now have a 14-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son, and they are target age, and you'll hear more from Joe about that. So I helped um, co-found an organization called Houston 20. We are an inclusive group of, of engaged and influential people who have come together to fight sex trafficking in Houston and in our state. And uh, we, have, we are a part of an overall organization called Fight For Us, and we have a website www.fightforus.org. Got to get that plug in. But, um, and we do it through several ways. We do it by holding fundraisers, and we've raised more than $2 million in the three years that we have been organized. Fundraisers, 100% of everything we raise goes to uh, a collaboration of organizations, nonprofits, which Joe is, is one of them. 100% of what we raise goes directly to these nonprofits. And we also advocate, advocate up in Austin and in Washington, D.C. to change laws. Think about MAD, the mothers who wanted to change the laws about drinking and driving, and they did. That is what we are trying to do. Houston 20 is, uh, we fundraise to support these organizations and, um, you know, prevent through awareness at our homes, make us realize it's happening right here, and arm your children what you can do. And thank God we've got experts like Joe to help us do that. We are developing trauma-informed healing solutions. We raised a million dollars, Danae, to purchase a property which is being renovated into a facility for young girls ages 11 to 18, which we plan coming online later this year. That's here in this Houston area. We also um, work with our survivors, our leaders and our survivors, to help them uh, develop independent lives and sustainable lives. Help them find jobs. Help them have the job skills they need for this new chapter in their life so that they will truly, truly thrive. 
And again, the last thing we do is work together with our nonprofits and with you, the community, to change the laws we need so that our children do not become and are not exploited and become victims. And part of this is we're so, we've been focused on the survivors and helping the victims, but a big part of that, if the demand goes away, if no one wants this product, our children are a product being sold. It used to be the, the, you know, the, the drug sellers, they would sell the drug. Now they have a profit. They can use time and time and time again. They have, it's, it's, it's changed the whole uh, for, forefront. But if we can change the demand, the supply will hopefully, hopefully go away someday, right, Joe? So Joe um, works, well, Joe is one of my most favorite people. He's helping us on the demand side and helping us protect our children. And I am so incredibly grateful for all the work that you are doing. And so, Danae, forgive me, I didn't, it's just a segue to introduce Joe, but I'm, it's part of the whole picture of the fight for us is now taking care of the demand side. And Joe started really focusing his organization, Love People Not Pixels, was focusing on pornography because that is really the root where it starts and it's just so easy with these things, and our, I need my phone, the true enemy, the true enemy. But his, his mission has expanded as an organization, I would say, uh, a little bit, because they realize um, they need to help uh, men, the buyers. Wait, I'm taking this away. You go, you go. Do your thing, Joe, and tell us every, all the fantastic things, and we're so grateful to you. I swear, every time I'm in a room with Amy, I just, I, I'm as quiet as long as I can be because she will say it better than I can, but I'll do my best, okay, I'll do my best Amy impersonation. Yes, I'm Joe Madison, I'm Executive Director of Demand Disruption, formerly Love People Not Pixels. She's right, uh, our foundation was rooted in awareness about pornography and the damage that it causes. But, but hear me, when, when we hear pornography, almost synonymously, we start thinking about, oh, judgment, oh, morality, oh, shame. That's not what this is about, this is, Although they sound very different, the conversation that happened right before us with the other guests, I was listening and I heard, I heard parallels throughout. Those parallels were health. This isn't a more, although we all have our own beliefs on morality, this isn't a morality argument. This is a health argument. This is about what am I consuming and is it consuming me? And so pornography made that very clear for us. And so in a lot of our workshops, we, we bring that point home. But it wasn't enough to stop there. We needed to understand that while in, in the anti-trafficking community is a little bit guilty of this as well sometimes as we we get so focused on our calling and our purpose we are focused on survivors or demand or awareness or intervention they're in these different silos but you can't address demand and do that without having a heart and a mind for survivors that is our, our purpose and so when i hear amy talk about um, supporting nonprofits, i think of it this way the intersection of support and frontline work, that street is called legacy. That's what you leave going forward. And we're doing that in this city. And while we do have a number of problems in Houston, we do when it comes to sex trafficking, we're seeing leadership and collaboration that's been incredible across the board. So I'm honored to be the director of an organization that does that and addresses some of these at a very fundamental level. And I think it's interesting, and I just put it together, Sydenham Clinic is trying to be proactive to prevent health issues, and this is what we're doing with your mission, is we're, we're looking back at how can we address it before it even happens. Right. And it is so much about, and we didn't dive into this with Sydenham, but I've talked to people about the blue zones. Blue zones are places in the world where people live to be 100 years old or older. And a part of Blue Zones is uh, a spiritual journey and connection and community and taking care of others in the community. And we have a responsibility to not just look at this as someone else's problem, but as ours. And you bring that spiritual aspect to what you're doing also in your outreach. Share about that. Yeah, so we've got to look at this a little differently. The world, our culture, has taken some definitions, and we've just accepted them. What it is to be a man in our culture, what it is to be a woman in our culture. If we really stop and think about that and think about how we're defined and how most of that is motivated by the, 
the goal to sell us something in our culture? I mean, if we're being honest, right? Uh, if I listen to a, a song on the radio, if, if this isn't even my opinion. We have a class. I was, I was talking earlier and uh, mentioned that we have a class. We work with convicted sex buyers, men who are arrested for solicitation of prostitution. We, they come into our class, and we work directly with them and connect their activity with human trafficking. But then we start to kind of dig a little deeper and say, what brought you here? And one of the things that we do is we go to a dry erase board. This wasn't really by design. I was just there. I wasn't getting anything from my class. I was like, that's it, guys. We're going to, I went to the dry erase board. On one side, I wrote culture. And I said, you tell me what it is to be a man in our culture. Tell me, what is, what is music, TV, internet, streaming, you name it, what does it say it is to be a man? And right on down the line, never be wrong, don't admit you're wrong, baller, be a player, multiple girls. It, it, the identity was, was straight down. And again, this wasn't our words, this was theirs. And so I said, okay, now, now just take a second. I'm gonna draw a line here. And on this side, I wrote ideal. And I said, now imagine, you're at home, the doorbell rings, and from the deep recesses of your daughter's makeup case upstairs, Daddy, that's my date. Go get the door. And then I said, now tell me what's on this side. And these guys put honorable, respectful, uh, gentleman, provider, wow. protector. And then I said, now you tell me. And I called them out by name because these guys come to this class that's led by uh, Mike Steele and Chris Harrison in Montgomery County. Montgomery County, y'all, is a template for how to fight trafficking in the greater Houston area. That's my plug for Montgomery County. I love them. <laughs> but, but I told these guys because they're there with a partner. They don't just get to come and do this alone. They've got to bring somebody into this pain and healing that they need to begin that restoration. And I said, now you tell me, when did you decide that the first part is who you are? that culture description and and they don't have an answer for it and i think sometimes it's the first connection that they realize wait a second i've accepted some things about who i am as a man and the same with women and it starts very early on on a timeline that that we developed that i can talk about in a second Did you no i was just going to say you said a really important word and that was restoration that is uh, something we are working for all of our survivors whether they are 11 14 18, 21, 22, restoration and hope that they can, they are worth something, they can um, start a new life, or there is hope. All of us are doing that, and I so appreciate that you have shown these buyers that they can get their life back. Yeah. This is not an, this is not a problem that's too big, and that's so very important, it so thank you. That's right, it, and it the realization was this, it's the connection. So sometimes we put these three different circles together and they're mutually exclusive to us in our culture. Pornography, well, none of my business, I'm a red-blooded American male, you know, I like women, no big deal. Strip clubs, hey, it's a little tacky, but to each their own. But prostitution, no, that's slavery. That is unacceptable, it's un inconscionable. But what we don't realize is they are all connected. And, and while that's a deeper concept to go into than we have today, I want you to understand that they are all connected and we have to take back some of that awareness because if we're not, if we're not having these conversations on a, on a truth level, really talking about how they're connected, how clicking on a free porn site creates demand and demand requires supply and supply is often fulfilled via human trafficking. When we think of that relationship, well, wait, I didn't get my credit card out. I'm not supporting the porn industry. I'm not paying... But wait a second, how much did you pay for your last Google search? Did you get an invoice when you searched for that restaurant? No, it's free. What's one of the most powerful, influential organizations on this planet? Google. Why? Because when you clicked, they then go to their, their customers, advertise, that when I advertise, say, we have, we have 10 billion customers, basically, at any given moment in the day. So here's your price. They create revenue based on that demand. So Culture will tell you that you're not culpable, but just take a second and consider that, not from a shame perspective, but then start to redefine your engagement. Whenever I view pornography, whenever I, whatever that fill in the blank is, we are not about judgment and shame, we're about informed decision. And when a man and a woman, or even a young person, can make an informed decision, they make better decisions. There's a reason why we have labels on alcohol, cigarettes, even energy drinks. Next time you're in a convenience store, look at the side of an energy drink that anyone can buy. It's got a warning on there, but not pornography, which, which changes the brain, neuroplasticity in the, in the brain. Now, I'm not qualified. I'm in the place where if we get doctor, they get a doctor to come back up here and talk about that, but I'm going to be over my head in a second. But as we talk about neuroplasticity and realize that there's a cause and effect, it really does make an impact. And when we understand it on those terms, we get to decide 
is this transaction worth it? Am I getting more than I'm giving? And am I harming anybody along the way? So many people say, uh, if there's all of these brothels in town, why aren't we just walking in and closing them down? More brothels in Houston than Starbucks. Crazy. Yeah, and it's a great question. And a question that haunted us, uh, you know, Amy mentioned earlier that Elijah Rising, a close partner of ours, has a van tour. That was transformational. If you have not heard of the van tour or gone on it, it's, it's, not, it's not going on right now because of COVID. But when it ramps back up, I, t- I told them at one point, this is the most powerful awareness tool in anti-trafficking. And I believe that. And in fact, my wife, uh, in her spare time, if there is such a thing, is a van tour coordinator for Elijah Rising. And I'm one of the lead trainers, just as a volunteer, because I believe so much in the impact of it. But that is, that is sobering for a lot of people. In your small town, and it's not just in the seedy areas, you describe some of them. But when we say there are four times the number of brothels as there are Starbucks, I never let that be said. And I tell people, I'm gonna give you a pass because you gave me a great setup. I, I never let somebody say that and say, but you better make sure you say there are five times the number of churches as there are brothels. Okay. We've got that kind of base. We've got people, soldiers ready to get to work. They just don't know there's a war yet. And so when we bring that to them and help them understand that. So I said this haunted me. When we looked at this, that's a great question. Why don't they just shut them down, the police, right? The other question is, wait, if they shut them down, won't they just pop back up somewhere else? Because that's been happening for thousands of years. When I say that haunted me, it really did. And, and as an organization, we looked at, well, what, what are we doing as an as a anti-trafficking community? And so I personally started to think about maybe some ideas and developed a program that addresses that. We're changing ordinances throughout the greater Houston area right now because the ordinances right now to get a permit to open a massage business, it's just like really a lot of other ones. You essentially go in, you get zoned to the part of town that your business is allowed to go to under their universal development code. You write the check, you agree to some things, and you're in. And it's a very broad thing. And, and really, the, the cities aren't, they didn't know to be able to see into the future and see that a massage industry would have this type of rampant exploitation. So what we're doing is we're getting uh, stakeholders in the community. I can tell you today, go to our, go to our Facebook page or, or Instagram, you'll see Rhonda Kirkendall. She's simply a defender leader, a volunteer who said, I don't want this in Fort Bend County. And she and I have been working closely together. And what we did is we went to city council for Fulshire, and they changed their ordinance so there can be no blacked out windows, no buzzer controlled doors, no, no residents, people sleeping on site. All of the things that are characteristic of these places. I identified 26 of these physical and operational characteristics using uh, Polaris' studies, some of our partners, some of the things that we've seen firsthand. And we, we brought that to a conditional use permit and said, you want to open a massage business? Come on in. By the way, you have to agree to all of this. We passed it in Pearland. We passed it in Fulshire. We passed it in five other cities. And by the end of this year, it'll be in 30 cities. That's our goal. And that, yes. that is proactive. Demanddisruption.org. Yeah. Need to say, need Go to see your website. <laughs> she's, she's, my, she's my PR person, so I get fired up and forget all the important stuff. But the re, that didn't answer the reaction question. So if, if they're, they're there, how do we shut them down? We work closely with police and have been on, on so many of these uh, buyer suppression operations. We're there when men are arrested. And we're talking to the men at a point of arrest because we want to start a conversation that leads to them never buying again. That's the most direct way to fight human trafficking. I, I certainly believe we need firemen when there's a fire, but somebody's got to shut the gas off or we're never going to stop the flames. And that is survivors. We have survivors who are suffering in generational exploitation because there is a demand for it every generation. And if we can disrupt that, we can make a change. So one of the ways we want to do that is the program that I developed is called, uh, it, it's how to shut down a brothel. <laughs> we're not smart guys. We just kind of keep it simple. So how to shut down a brothel. Um, but we are working on implementing this. And what it is is a seven-step program to empower the community to shut them down. Never setting foot inside, never taking the risk of even engaging with them. Because I said earlier to someone that these places know the ordinances and the laws better than the police and the, the public officials, the, these people that run these illicit massage businesses. Well, we're not really worried about them. What we want to do is inform that strip mall owner next to the pizza place and the daycare place when we release this map, you're going to be shocked. Children at Risk did a great job. Children at Risk is a partner of ours. If you haven't heard of them, look them up. They 
they put a map out about three years ago that put the illicit massage businesses and they mapped schools and how close they are. And it really got some attention for some people. And it, it got my attention as well. And concurrently, we thought, what can we do about this? Well, we took that same idea and we developed it a little further. When you click on that map and you see your church is here and 500 yards away, there's an illicit massage business that we've vetted and researched and shows 14 reviews that some man bought sex there because there are online sex sites just like Yahoo where guys go and give reviews about the experience they had and how much they paid. Well, we have that intel. And now we're going to notify that strip mall owner, hey, man, I'm sure you didn't know this, but here are some things that are going on here based on buyer reviews. So that's kind of a sneak peek on something we've been working on for quite a while, but it's not enough to shut it down. We've got to serve the survivors inside, and that's where we take it back to a holistic community approach. We have service providers in our community that love and serve these survivors in a way that's beautiful, and so they're going to come in on certain steps of this process and provide services as we shut these places down. And they have set up a strong uh, mentoring community to help other survivors to um, move on beyond this. And the nice thing is, is they will all be there for each other. It is unconditional love and support. One quick thing that I know Danae has been so good with Bella and I've done with my family, and I think it's really important for everyone here and everyone watching, and you touched on it, is um, protecting your home. And you can do this easily. I focus on the anti-sex trafficking and I've not scared my kids. I've made them very smart to protect themselves, to know the signs, and to also talk to their friends about it. And it's, again, it's not a dark, scary conversation. It's just to protect themselves yeah. and to make them smart and, and to prevent these things from happening. And I know that's a part of what you're talking about, too, is being proactive, like we heard earlier, right. being proactive. That's right. I mean, just like we were looking at the timeline of, of health, right? We were looking back at, at, you know, just doctor after doctor, visit after visit. We went and developed a timeline for exploitation. It's literally called the timeline of exploitation. And the only reason was because I kept having different conversations about the same thing. I would talk to a mother with three kids. I would talk to a grown man who was struggling. I would talk to a grandparent worried about their grandkids. And they were all on this timeline. And so I had, we put it on paper and got it down to where we're looking at this. So starting around eight or nine years old, that's the first exposure to pornography. Now just take that for a moment. If you have a child, it's immediately impactful to think about that. But even if you don't, if you have a niece or a nephew, think about the confusion that sets in for a boy and a girl who sees not, not, not even sex, right? It's not even sex, naughty pictures. It is a violent, aggressive act being acted out on someone else. And so they stop and think, I guess this is what it is to be a boy in a relationship. I'm eight, nine years old. I don't know, right? This is, this is apparently what boys do. And just as tragically, the girl, again, we're talking about both at the same time, not one or the other. The girl sees that, I guess this is what girls do in a relationship. And then you fast forward two, three years, and they get their first smartphone. And now not only have they seen it, but they've got unlimited access to it and, and have been conditioned in a way to say, okay, well, this is available. And there's that shame factor where they're not going to go to their parents and say, this was scary and confusing. Can we talk about it? Is your kid going to do that? I mean, think about what your talk was like with your kids or the talk you got with your parents. We don't have time, but mine was a total train wreck. And God bless my sainted aunt who adopted me and my brother, two eating machines after graduating two uh, beautiful young ladies from Rice University. Then he adopted us. And oh man, if I had one of these phones in my pocket, I would have destroyed myself. Now, if you want to reach your kids and change the narrative in your conversations and begin a conversation, tell them that tonight. Tell them, I can't imagine what it's like to live in this culture. I would have destroyed myself because we didn't have to deal with that. I'm 47, but take it back 10 more years, right? This, this generation gap that exists, add to that now a technology gap that has never existed before in the history of our time. 93 is when we started seeing tube sites of internet with pornography. Porn wasn't new in 93, but that's about the time that technology made it completely immersive. That changes the entire game. And that's not, me finding a magazine in a drawer is very, very different than a porn site. So when we see this timeline and we continue going up it, we realize that, okay, we identify that around the age of 15, if we had 100 girls in a room, women in a room that were, that were trafficked, statistics tell us that the largest portion of them entered into trafficking between 15 and 17 years old, 35% of them. That is tragic. 
but it didn't just happen one day. And the buyers didn't just buy one day, right? We're seeing this escalation continue. And then as we go to 18 and girls are, are, are exiting and boys are exiting out of foster care, we're seeing that be this de facto feeder program because these guys are exploiters and they look for vulnerable people. So I bring all that up and I take you through it. I know we're probably stretching our time, but it's important to understand this is not just happening to somebody somewhere. This is happening in our homes, in our lives, and we can do something about it with greater understanding. And so we went ahead and developed a program for every stage of that timeline. It's on his website. It's on demanddisruption.org. Demand is that the website? Are you sure? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. So demanddisruption.org. It is on our website. We haven't designed our website for awareness. Um, we're not as much an awareness org as we are a preparedness org. If you go to our website and you click on one of our programs, you're going to get an overview of what that is. And then we want you to fill out that at the bottom and say, I'm a mom. I don't know how to talk to my kids about this. Do you have a workshop coming up? Or I want to volunteer with a man who's struggling, has been arrested, or, or just is struggling and wants to walk with somebody. We have a program. You're not their savior and you're not their therapist. We have defenders who are volunteers that are equipped in a way that facilitates connection to professional help, to counseling services, to lifelong, really very resilient practices that will keep that person from ever buying again. Because when we know statistics like this, that 70% of sex is bought by about 25, 30% of the buyers, think about that 80-20 rule we all hear. It's not just true in business. Repeat buyers make up most of the demand. And when we can stop one buyer, we're not, we're not saving one person who's gonna be exploited. That's multiple people. That's the power that we have to really open this conversation up and, and get engaged at a level that we're comfortable with that can make an impact. I also make a plug for the legislation that you and I will be working on, the advocacy. It's okay. We're no, partners. We're partners. And Danae, we, I mean, we'll be doing this in Austin that during this legislative session this year. Advocacy is a huge part of what we do. And we are going to be working on the SMART Act. And it's a very logical law that when you hear about it, you're going to say, that's not the law is to raise the age of anyone working in a sexually oriented business from 18 to 21. So basically, you have to be 21 years old to go into a, I'll just call it a strip club. Yeah. You have to be 21 to drink there, but you only have to be 18 to work there. Yeah. So you get young women who say, might say they're 18, but they're really only 15 or 16. And from, as you've heard from Joe, from the sexual businesses, very easy that moves into a trafficking situation, an exploitation situation. So we are going to work this legislative session on the SMART Act, and it is to uh, move the age up from 18 to 21, which just makes all the sense in the world for uh, women and, and men to be able to make that decision on their own. Yeah. And Joe has another piece of legislation that his group is working on. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, Representative Swanson in the last legislative session filed, um, it's, it's called a resolution, not a bill, it's a resolution. And that resolution is to declare porn as a public health hazard. 16 other states have beat us to that. I mean, I mean, like we're losing to Kentucky and Florida, y'all. If you have, listen, and there's people that are on in Kentucky and Florida, we love you. Uh, Louisiana has the SMART Act. Yeah. Louisiana has it. We, okay, sorry, I so didn't get that in. No, we got to poke that Texas pride and be like, step up. So when she says that about legislation, there's a lot of, like, in any room I'm in, I was the same one. I'm the most accidental advocate ever. But people are like, nod their head, like, yeah, that should be passed. No, you should pass it. Legislation does not, we don't work for them, they work for us. So whenever you, whenever you like our page on Facebook and, and social media, Demand Disruption, whenever you follow Houston 20, you're going to see this come to your inbox. Please don't sleep on that, right? You, I know that you are here and you're watching because you care about this, but later you're going to have more responsibilities in your life. More things are going to come up. Have it come tap you on the shoulder and go, in a week, we're going we're gonna to have on our website a way for you to go and click and send letters to your representative, which we are working on right now with partners that we've named already today and then some. You're going to be able to go to, we're working on it now, but keep an eye out for hazardousmaterial.org. We took that because that's exactly what pornography is. It's a hazardous material that you're touching and it is poisoning and you don't realize that. Make an informed decision. So if you go to that you click on that, you're going to see a couple of letters there. And if you agree with them, click on that and send it to your representative. We will make it very easy and we will be heard. We, in three weeks, last time, we got a little late to the party. 
So this year when it was refiled, we said, we're not making that mistake again. But in three weeks, our defenders stepped up, and we had 800 letters go to the Capitol in, in really less than three weeks. So let's, let's be ready whenever the SMART Act comes up to, to go in and support that, to support other legislation. If you're not sure what's out there, Children at Risk has a list of some very important legislation that we're backing. This is where we make a difference. Because after May, it's two more years. Every two years, legislation. So we've got to do the proactive stuff in legislative. We've got to do the intervention and support stuff that the Houston 20 is awesome about and programs like this bring awareness. And then we have to be interventionalists and get involved in people's lives who maybe are lost and broken along the way. And we need your help to do that. So in order to align our words and our actions, how could we have you come and spread this word to a church group or to a group of friends? Or how would we go about getting this information out to our tribe of friends. Thank you so much, Danae. That, that is so important to be able to, to take this from some righteous indignation, I can't believe I'm hearing this, to now I'm going to do something about it. And so go to our website, demanddisruption.org, and you can fill out the contact us. That goes directly to one person, and I get copied on it. We will get back to you. Our defender coordinator, Mauricio, does an awesome job of following up. But you mentioned churches. And I want to bring it back to this full circle thing. We talked about brothels. There are five times the number of churches as there are brothels. We have a program that honestly was, was developed because we realized that the, the nonprofit community is doing well to go out and present and, and give awareness, but it's almost a one and done. We have got to help churches have this be a lasting conversation. So we developed something called the Church Body Project. The Church Body Project is headed up by myself. When I developed it, I brought in somebody, Chris Harrison, who has been a pastor for years. And he's giving insight to what it is to be in a church uh, architecture. And why that's important is this. When we look at it in the church, and we're able to realize that men and women in the church are either broken and hurting, or they have a heart to serve those that are broken and hurting, we have an answer to the problem right there. And then we have this community that's already committed themselves to making a difference in their community. And so to be able to go to the Church Body Project and understand that, I would love to have invitations. We had seven churches last week, five of which we didn't even talk to and introduce it to. They heard about it from someone else, from people like you, from people like Amy. St. Martin's has stepped up. Uh, we, we've got another presentation today. The Freedom Church Alliance, if you don't know about the Freedom Church Alliance, they are a collection of churches that are saying we're going to fight trafficking in our community. So there's a few ways to do it, but if you're interested in bringing this to your church from talking to kids about what's healthy all the way up to men who are struggling or, or families that are broken, we can address that on that timeline in the church. And when the church is healthy, the community flourishes. That's our goal, the church body. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being here. Being Valentine's week, I thought there was yes. no better way to show love to our families and to our community but than loving ourselves and our health and by joining together to really make a difference in the way we interact as a community. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our live portion online, but I want to offer time for questions and Dr. Rice and Anshul for you two as well. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much. We'll see you next Thank week you, on Living thanks. the Authentic Life. Thank you, Danae.